lots and lots and lots of fuck-ups. I've made so many mistakes in so many different ways trying to figure out how to do this 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 life thing this this just being a human being in the time and world that we live in whether it's the clothes you wear to work or a metaphor for putting up a front we all wear a uniform but often there's a lot going on behind the uniform and many of us are reluctant to express how we are really feeling each week on behind the uniform dr izzy smith and Captain Hugo Tovey will be joined by a special guest as they talk openly and honestly about their experiences with mental health. Nothing will be off limits, so prepare yourself for tears, laughter and goosebumps. Hello and welcome to Behind the Uniform podcast. My name is Izzy Smith and today, like always, I'm joined by Captain Hugo Tovey. Hugo, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Iz. Dr. Izzy Smith, how are you going? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I dropped from the captain today. No, it's, it's good. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty uh, pretty excited for today's episode. But how's your week off been, though, Iz? You've obviously had uh, had a pretty busy week last week, and now you've got a couple of days off just relaxing. And Yeah, a week of night shifts were pretty busy. I am just adjusting to my sleep schedule at the moment. I sat up again last night watching Netflix, watching The Octopus teacher story. I saw that on there. You're getting a bad habit with staying up watching your Netflix is. <laughs> yeah, I need to practice what I preach a bit more. <laughs> but on to more important topics. Today, I'm super excited about our guest. Anyone in the CrossFit world will be having like kittens right now that we have him in the studio. We have um, a man called Khan Porter. So Khan is a six times CrossFit Games athlete. He is also a representative rugby union player, a surf lifesaver, fitness model, but as well as being super athletic and, I guess, a fitness model, he's got a lot going on behind the ears as well. He's a psychology student, a really passionate mental health advocate, and is an ambassador for the Are You OK Foundation. And he's a self-described total weirdo. So, Khan, thank you so much for having coming in today. How are you? No worries. <laughs> Welcome, Khan. I, I like that self-described total weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably the most accurate one of all those things on there. Battling CrossFit athlete, weirdo, student. Um, yeah, I'm good. Good. Thank you guys so much for having me in. And you're pretty pretty stoked when Izzy mentioned you're a fitness model too. Yeah, I look, I you know, I, I'll take that. Maybe an, <laughs> a, a wannabe Instagram model sometimes, <laughs> but a fitness model, well, that sounds a lot better. No, it's 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 great, Khan. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you sitting down with us today and having a chat. And before we get into a bit about you, a bit about your story and why we've got you on the podcast today, we just want to ask you, which we ask all our guests this question, um, just to kick the podcast off. What are you doing when you are at your happiest? Ooh, surrounded by my mates, having a laugh and probably a cheeky beer. Yeah, Mates, beers and laughs, can't go too wrong yeah, with that, Yeah, it's about as good as it gets for me <laughs> and I'm looking forward to a weekend of that this weekend. So, yeah, Matt, big, it's definitely when I'm at my happiest. So, um, look, what we do want to get into before, uh, obviously, your, your, as you easy touched on in the introduction, you know, you are a mental health advocate, um, are you okay, ambassador? But I think it's important to what you do as a, a day job and what you're very well known for is your CrossFit space. But for someone like myself, and I'll put my hand up and admit it, I don't know much about CrossFit. And I, I never really have been involved in CrossFit, but I think that's what makes this podcast unique in the fact that you know all our guests have their own specific field that they might be involved in. So for the listeners listening and for, for me as well that might not know too much about CrossFit, um, if you had to explain it, what is CrossFit, Khan? Uh, great question. To explain it, simply put, so I guess there's kind of two facets to CrossFit. There's the training methodology, which is just kind of one of many group fitness, community-based group fitness programs out there, one that specifically focuses on performance rather than aesthetics, so things like getting fitter, stronger, more skillful, and uh, like better at endurance and all that sort of stuff. From a sporting perspective, I guess it's kind of – they call it the sport of fitness. So they have 10 modality oh, – they have 10 kind of like uh, – uh, different kind of skills that disciplines? you need to be good. Yeah, disciplines, exactly the word I was looking for. I don't think those 10 necessarily kind of are too different from each other. I think there's kind of three main ones. That's endurance or like different fa- elements of endurance, um, strength, and then skill, body weight, stuff like that. So it's 
kind of like yeah it's it's this it really that is the best way to describe it, the sport of fitness mm-hmm. you've got to be you're tested on anything and everything kind of fitness and human performance related so you can in the same day uh, for example one day at the 2018 CrossFit Games which is the last time I competed individually face to face we had the CrossFit Games this year which I competed in but that was online and we had I competed last year but on a team so the day one of that competition though involved racing a criterion which is a really technical bike race followed by three one rep max lifts so a max back squat a max deadlift and a max standing strict press followed by 30 ring muscle ups so a gymnastics test and then 30 the fo- ring muscle ups yeah for time one of my goals for this year has been able to do one yes the fact that some people can do 30 in a row is just incredible uh, so it was 30 for time I, don't, I think maybe a couple of guys went unbroken I think there was probably a handful of guys that did the 30 in a row but um, most well, what, people partitioned that well, one of my goals this year is just to bloody do five chin ups <laughs> 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 so, so. yeah for any listeners I still haven't got my muscle up goal <laughs> well come down to the gym that I train at I'm sure you could help both of you guys would be more than welcome we'd be able to help you both out with those goals but um the last test that day then was to row a marathon so 42 kilometers on a rowing erg and that was that's oh one day of competition uh, at a crossfit games event so you can see just like the the diversity of different things we've done uh, so crossfit takes a heavy kind of uh, background from the military so the guy that programs the crossfit games is an ex-navy seal so there's a huge kind of military influence on a lot of the tests so that same year we did a military style obstacle course had to carry a uh, like dummy carry of 85 kilo guy up and down a field as well. Probably probably makes sense. We've had Commando Steve as a previous guest on this podcast. Probably makes sense why he was quite good at it with yeah. his military background. Yeah, 100%. And I think even back in those days, it was very, very military kind of. Like it was yeah, like a lot of military guys like really kind of rose to the top. Um, but yeah, so that that's the sporting side of it. There's kind of a, quite a structured season. Well, the season's changed a little bit last year, changing again by the looks of things going into next season. Um, obviously this year completely changed with COVID but yeah so the the competitions they there's usually like a season structure so there's a there's a global event called the Open which everyone can do it's participatory in nature as well where it's like you just do it to take part with your gym and then from that they cull say you know a few hundred thousand people around the world that do that they cull them down into regional specific numbers of about four, uh, between 50 and 60 from there they take sort of the top three to five pending where you're located to the world championships no it's um and it's it's almost exhausting hearing you say all that it sounds uh-huh. but i think that's a, it's a good point why we just wanted to get that because a lot of people probably don't understand well those mm. in the crossfit world of course they do but for people like me they probably don't and i think for the listeners to realize we didn't just walk into a random gym off the street and pick out the best looking bloke in the gym. You've uh, you've actually you are a pretty good looking rooster though, oh, can't Jesus. you? <laughs> maybe maybe that's how I got the fitness model done. No, but uh, but in all seriousness, I think it's important to think that what you've gone through, not just competing in CrossFits, but um, what were you chatting before with Izzy about with the record you set with the rowing? Oh, so ex- they just had the CrossFit Games, the 2020 CrossFit Games, three weeks ago now, I'd say, and it was all done online, and one of the tests was a 1,000-metre row, and I came second in that, so that's second globally. Second in the world. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I like rowing. <laughs> I actually rowed and ran 100K on the weekend as well, so just... Jesus. Yeah, 50K row, 50K run, which we kind of did. Um, it's just a bit of a see if we could do it, to be honest, and raise a bit of money for Lifeline as well. Sounds like you and Izzy have a lot in common. <laughs> I'm... I'm not going to even pretend to make comparisons with a professional athlete sitting next to me. But um, I guess on the topic of what this podcast is all about, which is mental health, we will explore about the role of, you know, the physical activity in your life. Um, But it's also a lot about going, what we say, behind the uniform, which is learning about the man behind the title of the CrossFit world champion and second best rower in the world. Uh, I think they might be a little bit inflated titles. <laughs> Mate, you're, I'm loving these fitness model yeah, best rower in the I world. I might just throw that out. Matt Fraser, I am the CrossFit world champion right now. <laughs> what is it with all of our guests? They don't back themselves. I think I need to give them all taps in the hands and say stop being so self-deprecating. Mm. Now, we will, um, you're on our podcast today. We're talking about mental health and we're going to talk about some of your experiences, especially with anxiety, depression and ADHD. Um, But first, I'd like to get to know a little bit more about you as a person, what you were like as a child, what was your upbringing like? I know you said you grew up on the Central Coast. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I guess my 
childhood was probably those three things that you just listed off there. So, no, I, I grew up on the Central Coast. Um, I'm a family of three brothers, mum and dad, um, an amazing family. Both mum and dad, I'm the eldest of three, and my mum and dad were both uh, theatre actors when I was born. So very creative, artistic parents, hence the names Khan. Uh, my brother's names are Dante and Cosmo. So, <laughs> But growing up, I kind of, like, I always... I think like mental health is extremely prevalent on my mum's side of the family, particularly, um, or just in my family in general. And then nice little bit of alcoholism on the dad's uh, on dad's side, not my father specifically, but his my extended family on his side. What type of mental illness in your mum's side? So anxiety disorders predominantly, and so that's kind of the thing. Or just anxiety, depression. I think eating disorders, all sorts of different things. Um, I without. Speaking about specifics of some of the extended family, there's a few other bits and pieces in there as well, but I'm predominantly within the anxiety disorder family. Did did you recognise that when you were growing up? Absolutely not. I had no idea. I think when we were growing up, mental health wasn't really... No, I think mum was probably aware. So my mum has mental health stuff with anxiety, depression. And then my little brother as well, he was actually hospitalised this year for um, panic disorder and anxiety. Mm. So it's quite prevalent in my my mum's side of the family. From a very early age, I just knew I didn't really think the same as the other kids. Like I just, I would, I would think and feel these things, and then I would sort of like I'd verbalize them, and then the other kids just wouldn't feel, think and feel the same, or they wouldn't be affected the same. And I was a bit of a, a bit of an oddball, and I felt that. And whether that was my own anxiety exacerbating situations in primary school, I was bullied a little bit, and it created this weird kind of paradox for me where my parents being creative people and they grew up in that kind of empowerment era where it was all about every child was special. You could only do, everything was positive reinforcement. There was no, as long as you tried, you didn't even have to try your best. As long as you did it, you should be praised and rewarded. So I had this weird kind of, and me being this kind of hyper anxious, over analytical little kid, like I'd, I'd go home and I could do no wrong in my mother's eyes. Mum particularly. Dad was a little bit different. Dad was dad was very fair, I think, in the way that he was like that. But mum was like, you know, anything I did was amazing and beautiful and wonderful and I was special and I was this and that and the other. And then I'd go to school and I'd get bullied and I'd be like, the fuck? Like, what do I have to do? I don't. I, I didn't quite... Didn't quite figure out how I was supposed to fit in, if that made sense. And what what age were you during? This was like primary school, but I had that awareness even at that age that I was like, "Why? Like this doesn't make sense to me." That snowboard, I became super concerned with trying to figure out how to fit in, try to figure out how to make people like me, and then that became like uh, I was, I wasn't unintelligent like I got into a selective high school from primary school, so you had to sit at a test to get into. So I was naturally sort of like quite academically solid but I had a real difficult time concentrating which then I was later like diagnosed ADHD later in life but makes a lot of sense with the difficulties like I could talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles the teacher could say something I could comprehend what they were saying in in, in like a discussion or conversation I could kind of figure it out but I had a real like I never did my homework I never I was I forget about tasks and just real difficulty concentrating, studying and all that sort of stuff. And you kind of couple that with like anxiety. So you've got this kind of reckless impulsivity, inability to concentrate, partnered with constant worrying thoughts about, oh, like, why am I not fitting in? Why does mm. people like me? People hate you. Like, what do you got to do to make people like it you? It sounds exhausting just listening to your experience, <laughs> let alone being part of it. Yeah. But I mean, and that formed probably like to say that I'm completely like void of that kind of those feelings now would be would be remiss but that was kind of like I was aware I I mean I look back on it now and I'm probably more um, critical of it and going you know that was for for the majority of my childhood and even in high school was like trying to just figure out how to fit in figure out how to make people like me because I had no idea because I had come from this kind of hyper supportive loving and caring family life which I credit for so many wonderful things about me and wonderful things that I'm able to do now later in life. And then this kind of hypercritical, uh, like nasty kind of like peer, not nasty is probably not the right word, but like hypercritical, just bullied. Adolescence is hard. Like, you know, I look back at when I was school at school, it was bloody hard. Mm. And well, people I mean, that was primary school. High school was different. Then I kind of went, I was the only person from my primary school that got into the high school that I got into, the the selective school. And I kind of saw that as this amazing opportunity to reinvent myself. But I think just even looking at it in that perspective was all about, hey, cool, now maybe you can make these people like you. 
bit, and, or maybe you can fit in here. Yeah, and it's, it sounds it sounds interesting. From a young age, you've almost learned how to adapt to those situations, and I suppose going through those primary school days of, like you said, just trying to understand where you where you were fitting in the bigger scheme of things at school, and then you know your home life, and and then you said high school was kind of a new chapter for you. Yeah. Um, how did you what what did you do during those years? Because you are young. You obviously, you know, you don't know much about the whole what mental health is. Um, mm. What did you learn about yourself during those vulnerable type years and what did you take into sort of the high school and your later years through that? I don't know what I necessarily would say that I learnt from primary school. Uh, like, I mean, obviously I learnt, like I learnt school stuff. Like I was able to yeah, get into the high school that I got into. and But I think high school was the big learning one for me. Like I, I, that's where I found sport. I realized I went from being at this primary school where I was doing well academically to going to an academic high school where I was basically surrounded by fucking geniuses. <laughs> and I was definitely not like at the top of the class or anything like that. And so, you know, still on this quest to be accepted, I then found something that I did start to excel at, which was sport. And I played rugby. I played at a representative level from quite a young age playing rugby. Sorry, I can would... I just jump in there because I think it's an important point. Were you what when did you go through puberty and it's not a personal question because I think it's important to know that ah, you yeah, know what I mean because I, exactly I feel like what you mean maybe like and this go off the time point in time when all of a sudden girls started to take notice of me and that would probably been around 15. 15. And is that when you felt you started excelling at sport as well? Yeah, I was I was reasonable at sport before that as well, but that was when I really kind of like grew out of this kind of gawky, a little bit. Ch- I was a bit chubby when I was younger. I kind of you know all of a sudden I had muscles when other kids didn't have muscles, and there's I was good Pacific good Islander genes coming through. <laughs> yeah, well, my mum's German as well, so if you're looking at kind of like kind of a bigger build, kind of good mix of genes there, that's good for mum mum and dad's point side but yeah maybe that kind of like 15 14 Mm. maybe like 14 15 15 16 I really started to come into my own and I think that was in its own way like a blessing and a curse because all of a sudden I was getting this external validation that I'd been starved of when I was younger and it was it wasn't for being me it was for who I'd become it was for this kind of external thing it was for oh like he's good at sport that's cool oh girls are taking notice of me now and they never used to so there's there's validation this external validation in that and that but yeah you know as I said I'd been starved of that for so many years and I'd, had never felt like I f- fit in so much as was 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 liked by anyone else and all of a sudden I had it and it was like I said like there's there was there's like this weird like I don't know if I handled that in the best way or well, I didn't handle it in the best way like it it kind of what do you mean you didn't handle it in the best way I think it really gave me my sense of my sense of self worth was very heavily contingent on these kind of uh, areas of external validation that I got. I just wanted to quickly just delve back a little bit when you spoke about when um, your your ADHD through through your school and when you when you discovered that and before, oh, I had no idea during school. Sorry, not during yeah. school when you when you when you said you look back and it makes sense yeah. with part of who you were at school. But so then when did you to to find out that you had ADHD? And for people listening that might not know anything about ADHD, what what is it? So diagnosed with ADHD was literally last year, two thousand and nineteen. Oh wow, so very recent. I, with with regards to my own mental health, going through, I got out of high school, um, sort of bounced around from thing to thing. I did a, did job to job. My mental health, I um, sort of started fell into crossfit well not fell into it found crossfit started doing that i was actually studying a degree in uh communications with a journalism major was given a job full-time job as a writer for a travel startup and through that started doing crossfit with the intention of competing a year later i qualified for the australasian sort of thing then qualified for the games and in the same way that I sort of said that there was negative repercussions to finding myself, like kind of coming into my own in high school, uh, uh, you know, finding sport, getting attention from that, getting attention from girls and that sort of stuff, having a negative influence on me as a young person. I think the same thing kind of happened when I became a professional CrossFitter because all of a sudden here's this person that's, you know, again, bounced from thing to thing to thing, not quite sure what I wanted to do, was like never, you know, felt like I had... I was smart enough to try and apply myself to something and, and get there, but would sort of like get sidetracked or distracted or this, 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 and this. Then all of a sudden I find this sport and, um, you know, 18 months after finding it, I'm one of them competing with the best in the world at it. And 
all of a sudden, here's this other form of external validation. Now, social media exists at this point as well. So all of a sudden, I get this this following on social media. Um, and now I have this new source of external validation, which is like, hey, you're a professional CrossFitter. Like, you're really, really good at CrossFit. And I was like, cool. So now that that really quickly became what I tied my sense of self-worth to was my success at this sport. And then compete at the CrossFit Games, fast forward the next year, and I was so stressed about not re-qualifying for the Games. And it's funny, like I often look back on that and think there's so many, like it, it affected my mental health. There's a lot of decisions I could have made then that would have been absolutely way, way, way worse, and I didn't, and I'm really proud of that about like my own athletic sort of, I guess, history, because I can look back and go that, uh, you know, my, my career as an athlete was all done 100% above board like I never tried to cheat the system it was always just my own sense of self like deprecation that was the issue I was just so harsh on myself about not being good enough I was just mentally deteriorating the tiniest thing would set me off I was at this point in time I was supposed to go overseas and I had all like all this shit going on around me and I was basically got to this end point where I was so anxious all the time I'd rotate between being anxious and then just like so depression, all the typical signs, like no sense of like potential great goodness happening in the future. I felt like everything that I was trying to do was going wrong. And then it was just to this point where I was like, I, for the first, I'd say I'd, I've had, I'd had suicidal ideation prior to that. But for the first time, I kind of really seriously sort of thought maybe the best thing that I can do to just get rid of this constant fuzz in my head and this trigger warning on this for anyone and I obviously talk about suicide like I just thought maybe that's maybe that's the answer like maybe there is just like maybe just like you just you can't figure out how to do this like you can't for whatever what, there's something wrong with you we can't figure out how to just be a person how to just exist in this world so I wrote a bunch of suicide notes and they were as much this kind of cathartic thing for me, I think, to actually versus me actually going to do it, where I just wrote in my notes section the people that I thought that I would need to basically justify my decision to do that and apologise for whatever it is I felt I needed to apologise for. And so this was after you'd competed in the World Championships in CrossFit? Yeah, so start of 2015. So start of 2015. And, and Khan, you said you had probably, well, you, not probably, you had suicide ideations before that. Yeah, I think when maybe... When did that start? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. I think it was, maybe, it was just always something that I think never seriously, never seriously considered it, but just the ideation being like you would think, I'd think about it, I'd be so frustrated or so anxious, be so, like with anxiety, it was all, like the big thing for me is catastrophizing these horrible things that could possibly happen and I'd have catastrophized this horrible future and maybe I'd be like, oh, well, you know, fuck, like maybe if this is, like, is that, is that an option? And like I would think about it, but never, never with the intent to do it. And this is probably the first time I thought about it in a more, not, I still, I still to this day, I don't want to say that I was seriously considering it so much as it was just like, more of an exploration of that as like an answer to all this noise in my head. What was that like when you're actually writing those, physically writing those notes? It was honestly like I was in such a fucking bad headspace that it was like I could, I almost can't even remember writing it. What I can remember clear as day though is when this girl that I was seeing, she found them. She called my best mate who called my ex. And when I realized that they'd found them and they'd seen them, I was confronted with like, the, there was this, this this realization that that's not normal. Like people don't just do that. Like that's the, the, the severity of that. Because to me, it was just another way of trying to deal with all the shit that was going on in my head. The severity of that then became apparent, though, when other people caught wind of it. And this thing that I kind of, do you know what? If, if When you ask how did I feel at the time, it was a nothing thing for me. There was no emotion attached to it. It wasn't this kind of like I was pouring my heart out and crying. It was sitting on a bed in this shithole that I lived in that we affectionately called the crack den. And just writing it and being like, oh, yep, cool. Like, you know, like just like that was, it was just normal. And that's probably possibly even more worrying than it being this kind of big emotional outburst. And then anyway, they sort of like, so my ex, who's still a good friend of mine and my best mate, who's still my best mate, he lives in America now. They basically were like, you need to go and like, get some help. So that was the first time I went to go and get help. 
um, they're like, you know, it sounds like you have mental health. And we all, like the three of us kind of pulled our heads together and kind of looking at it. And they're like, we think it could be this. And we thought it could be a mood disorder. And like we kind of stumbled across in, in, in our just searching for what it could be. Maybe it was bipolar disorder. And so we went and found a doctor that's special, like a GP who marketed himself quite well. He put himself as like a mental health doctor, but it wasn't a psychiatrist. It was a GP who specialised in mental health. Yeah. And so he, and it said specifically with mood disorders. So he went in there and within a 20-minute kind of consultation, he diagnosed me with bipolar and given me medication for bipolar disorder. Now, a couple of years after that, I would find out that was a misdiagnosis when I actually went for a full psychi- like to a psychiatrist for a different um, thing. But yeah, I'm going to chip in as the doctor here and say, you know, that definitely needs a psychiatry referral. Yes. And a GP shouldn't be making that diagnosis and commencing that therapy. That yeah. is also probably a good point for listeners to realise is that, you know, we've touched on this before, that GPs are also humans. They're mm. also normal and they're not oh, always sure. going to make perfect decisions. 100%. So if, if, you, get a, if you get a diagnosis that you might not agree with yeah. and someone listening gets a diagnosis they might not agree with and they're in a similar situation to you, um, it's probably important to maybe get that second or third opinion. But you know what? At that point in time, it was like after 24, I was 24, I think at the time, after 24 years of just kind of thinking something doesn't make sense and there's just like constant overwhelming thought. I mean, I have thoughts. and I have tattoos all over me from before that that are all to so have a split yin-yang on my wrist, which is to symbolize the fact that together they mean harmony, but I don't feel at harmony in myself. I feel like there's these like this this wild, chaotic... 100 mile an hour part of me that pulls me in one direction and this kind of bleak, hopeless sadness that pulls me in the other. Got that before I was diagnosed with anything mental health-wise. Oh. On the outside of my leg here, there you'll see there's two triangles and they symbolize arrows that are designed and there's a matching double arrow on my finger. One has like a symbol for chaos and the other is completely empty, chaos and emptiness. Again, before I was diagnosed with anything. It's quite amazing that you had that foresight, you know, like a subconscious foresight of almost knowing what was your diagnosis and then it was expressed through your tattoos. As I said, that diagnosis turned out to be wrong, but it doesn't change that I had have for a long time I'd had this kind of constant warring chaos, bleakness, chaos, bleakness within me. And then I got the diagnosis of that. And so if, if, if anything, it was just, I was just ready. For, I needed an answer. I was given an answer. I was given, here's the answer. Here's some medication you can take and off will go about your merry way. Even though that diagnosis, as you said, was, was incorrect, um, but it led to the path of essentially having the correct diagnosis, that initial step from when you said your two best mates recognised that writing suicide notes wasn't a normal thing. Mm. And they're the ones who said, can we're worried about you, you need to get help. That initial step of, of just having those ones close to you, realising that this wasn't normal mm. and getting that help, was that at least a bit of a some sort of recognition of something, a weight lifted off your shoulders? Or how would you explain the feeling to know you've at least made that step to talk to people about it that you had never talked about it with before? Yeah, it's funny, like within the counselling course, they talk about how when, you, when you're working with a new client, it's a really great way to kind of show them that they're actually already starting to get better is the fact that they've actually booked a session in and that that's a step in the right direction. So yes, that did. I think, you know what, it, it was just an answer. Like it was, it was like, okay, cool. Like this is not just, you're not just so fucked in the head that at some point in time, you're probably just going to, Disappear. There might be an answer to why this is happening and it might be an answer that you can actually kind of work on and there might be a solution that could come from this. And now, uh, as I said, went to see that doctor. I started to see a psychologist then, which didn't really click with, not necessarily anything against the guy. I just didn't, just didn't gel with the dude. Um, and myself being so kind of a bit all over the place um, just as a human being, it was like I'd go and I'd start this and I'd go overseas and I'd do this and I'd have a competition which would take my attention. And at this point in time, CrossFit was not – you don't make any money from competing in CrossFit. You make it from a million different places everywhere else. You make it from being a – Instagram this, sponsored athlete that, this, 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 this. You, you, you get it from a million different sources. So there I am. I'm chasing my tail constantly. And this is something that then wasn't an immediate fix. You know, I'm, I'm managing a gym. I'm running a gym at the same time, dealing with like a breakup, dealing with a toxic relationship, dealing with uh, competing. Being stretched and trying, in a million yeah, different directions. Pushed, and that, but that, which is no one's fault except myself. And I recognize that. It's my own inability to sit still and go fucking focus on one thing, you idiot. I don't think that's a problem, though. I think that's your personality and we need to stop 
um, you know, when people have personalities like yours, and I can be a little bit like that. I love having, and Hugo's always like, Izzy, you need to stop doing so much. I, you know, I get a rush from that. And rather than thinking, and I do sometimes get overwhelmed, but looking at that as a good character characteristic and it's obviously you've done amazing things in your career you know in some respects you're 100% right it has led to me doing and being able to do incredible things however it has had an extremely negative um, uh, impact on me and particularly particularly the stress and anxiety that that triggers biting off more than I can handle triggers and some of the ways that I've chosen to try and manage that and deal with that um, has been negative and so I think that, yes, it does, it, good and bad. It's and about bad. being aware yes. and not getting into the situation that you are overwhelmed yeah. and yeah, managing those characteristics. Yeah, but- which which I was, I was you know, if you kind of go through that, uh, I'll fast forward very quickly because that's a, like a good point, that awareness was, yeah, so from that, like, uh, like tried to take the medication, had really, was horrible, the stuff that I was taking. I just found that it just knocked me around. Like I would take it and then... Like some days I'd be okay and then other days I could just, just was so tired, couldn't get out of bed. And now, yeah, so, and I, I went back to the doctor and again, I didn't take that regularly enough. Do you know what? Like I, being the way that I am, trying to, you add three things, take these two pills at this time, take these two pills at this time uh, and then just add that into the mix of everything else. Like I would just forget basically and I would take them consistently. I think at the start I took them pretty consistently for about six weeks but this is also coming into CrossFit Games like the CrossFit Games 2015 so I'm now trialling these two medications. They're impacting my energy levels and ability to train a bit of weight gain as well like I, 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 I was noticing more negative side effects than I was positive. But even that alone I, I'd, I'd like to to just jump in there and say the fact you're even acknowledging that and recognising that. And like you said, even when you said you first saw your first psychologist and you, it wasn't against them, but you just didn't gel with them. And then mm-hmm. you kind of went on these medications and initially, you know, you just weren't recognising that they had those adverse side effects. And I feel like you've, you at least sound like you're, you're proactive in the sense that you're recognising things and you kept mm-hmm. wanting to try and find something that was going to work for you. And you mentioned before that you, it took you five Psychologist, who you found that the right one? Yeah, I'd, I think he was my fifth, okay. the guy that I've uh, most recently been seeing, and um, that was last year, and that was after a big grab off. But you know, like, to be completely honest, like I was, yes, I was recognizing these things and I was being proactive, but I was too busy being pushed and pulled in a million different directions. That to say that I was properly committed to trying to get my mental health in order would be bullshit and it would be a discredit to the people that were trying to help me for me to be like yeah like I tried my best and I just didn't work like no I didn't I didn't try my best and that's on me because I, I did have too many different things pushing and pulling in different directions I know with our other guest Moses uh, Henrique as a cricketer he was saying you know I was spending 20-30 hours on his physical health and maybe one hour on his mental health and that's a really common thread that we think, I see a psychologist once a week and that should, you know, fix all my mental health problems, mm. which is just obviously not the case. And mental health is so complex and looking after our mental health is about, you know, it could be medications, it can be therapy, it can be lifestyle change, maybe for you, biting off less so you're not yeah. so stressed. Um, and so it's never going to be, you know, one simple fix to people's mental health. I see mental health, and I particularly would like to see mental health in the mainstream be viewed the same way that physical health is. You know, you go to the gym regularly to work on your physical health. Maybe you should be going to, whether it's therapy or like some sort of practice, like a regular practice that's designed to take care of your mental health. If you see a trainer or you go to a gym and you don't like that, you're not getting results there, you're not just going to be like, okay, fitness isn't for me, physical health isn't for me, I'm just going to get really overweight and unhealthy and just that'll do me now. Like I I tried it once, that's it. This is like music to my ears, this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But the same thing should be said for mental health, okay? If you, if like, and mental health, I think we need to broaden the definition of it as well like mental health is so commonly associated with mental illness and obviously my specific journey is heavily around the mental illness space but i look at mental health we all have mental health yeah like just general stress management okay you might not have anxiety but you probably get worried about stuff that's probably something that's your mental health 
you might not have ADHD, but sometimes it might be hard to focus on things. That's mental health. And that's where with mental health conditions, we say everything everything sits on a spectrum. Mm. And for me, I'm a little bit of an anxious person. Hugo, I don't think you'll mind me saying you're a little bit of an obsessive person. We probably don't fit so far on the spectrum that it's a disorder, but... You know, I think of mental health as, you know, green is really well and red is when it's somewhere that's a Mm. disorder. And you can kind of slide along. Absolutely. And it becomes a disorder once it's really impacting your day-to-day life, your ability to work, socialise. But for me, I'm still an anxious person. I still work on that even though I don't have a formal anxiety disorder. Mm. And I think it's interesting even the term mental health still carries stigma Mm. even though it's something we all have. And exactly what you said, you could be a bit stressed. You could be finding it hard to concentrate. And why don't you try and improve those things even if it's not – a mental illness that you see a psychiatrist for once or twice a week. These are concepts I'd love the listeners to yeah. really, un- you know, understand and imply into their daily life that, you know, every day we can be doing things for our mental health, whether it's trying to get more sleep, say yes to one less commitment, yeah. you know, drink less alcohol, have chats with friends. You know, and something that I'm super passionate about on that just everyday mental health is dedicating some period of time every single day to doing something you want to do and you enjoy. Like we have vilified pleasure and downtime and enjoyment so much in society, particularly in the city. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. It's a badge of honor to say, Sydney, I'm busy. Hustle, hustle, yeah, hustle. I'm busy, you know, you know, and the person that says, oh, what did you, someone says, what did you do today? And they're like, oh, I just kicked back at the beach. It's sick. You just go, you don't think, enviously of them you think down of them because and it's such a poor way to look at the world and such a poor way to look at mental health and such a contributing factor to it constantly seeking something and probably the answer to whatever it is you're seeking is something that you just need to spend time doing fucking nothing to come across and do you know what in some ways like we spoke about this as well 2020 has been a it put a pause on a lot of things mm. and I saw a really good little I suppose we were talking about how much how shitty those cliche little quotes that you see cliche is good for media. a reason <laughs> this is great it was like 2020 was the year that stopped us, we weren't allowed to go out, so we're forced to go in. And I really like that because what it did was really, well, for me anyway, it really put this kind of like lens on, okay, take out being able to just pick up and go wherever you want, whenever you want. Take out potentially competing because that's a big part of your life. Uh, like what do you get value out of as a human being and how can you find that in day-to-day? And that's not something that you can necessarily – like. Self-work is an active process and self-awareness is an active process, but it's an active process that are, I think requires periods of complete nothingness to kind of come across. And they can be and the other thing as well is that complete nothingness, those those downtime periods, they don't always need to be, they're not always going to be positive. It's not always going to be like you do something to be fun. Sometimes in those moments of stillness it's really uncomfortable and you're forced to be really uncomfortable and through that discomfort you might come to a conclusion about what it is that you actually like. So there's a lot to be said for doing things you enjoy and doing nothing at all. No, I, lo- I love that, Khan. And, you know, you put it really well. And some of those takeaways, I think everyone can everyone can take away, whether you've got mm. a mental illness or not. Yep. Everyone, like you said, mental health is mental health. And we all have that mental health. Mm. Um, and so I think to to kind of go into to where you are now with that, you know, you, you talk about that sort of that upbringing you had and that first real exposure back then to, to bullying and sort of mental health ramifications even if you didn't see it then and you kind of went to your high school and realized you had that passion for sport which was fantastic and during all this time we'll touch on very very soon that whole ADHD only very recently discovered that but during this time there was something that you probably didn't completely understand about yourself but that kind of then went into the CrossFit the CrossFit world where you you obviously were really good at you spent 18 months doing it before you know it you're in the CrossFit games but then amongst all of that was when you really went to your darkest uh, and that's when through, you know, your, your friends and encouraging to seek help and then seeing that professional help wasn't the first one you saw. It took time and eventually found one that you really liked. And it sounds like you, you've gone on that mental health journey to where you are now, but you've also accomplished so much, which I think is fa- fascinating. And then at the moment, you're now studying psychology, which it's almost like it's kind of led you to this pathway and you've kind of what you've learned on a personal level. Uh, and then you, you then the RUAK ambassador. But where I'm going with that, I suppose, throughout that whole mental health journey to where you are now, looking back at that, you know, Khan Porter during your, you know, your darkest days and when you're writing those, those suicide notes to where you are today, 
What 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 can you say to to him? That's an interesting question because yeah, what would I say to myself back then? It's hard to say because I look at that and it, like I was talking to a friend about this recently and they said, um, and I will, I will get into that, and they said, you know, we're talking about the concept of not regretting any part of your life and there's so many singular decisions and moments and things that I've done that specifically regret. I don't like that I've done those things and one of them was that period in time like that I... So much about that period in time that I don't like about myself. So there's so many little things that I would go back and say, hey, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But at the same time, maybe I wouldn't want me to not change them because maybe all of that has led me to where I am now. It would be hard for me to say that I would go back and give myself a definitive piece of advice that would potentially change the course of my life then because maybe it doesn't give me the depth of awareness that I have now. Maybe it does Maybe it means that yeah like that like I patch I patch it up a little better than I did back then I patch up the mental health stuff a little better than I did back then and I still fall back into the pattern of just you know just wanting to be an athlete and just wanting to you know train 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 and do that and and I lose that kind of burning desire I have now to help people with mental health or to to help people overcome the same hurdles that I had to overcome and maybe I lose the livid experience that maybe will allow me to help them so I don't know if there's anything that I would go back. As I said, there's probably specific things that be like, hey, fuck, don't do that. Drink less. Don't fucking, you don't need to go on every single trip. Don't say yes to everything that you, that you kind of get offered because you like use your time more sparingly. Stop thinking about what other people, they like, stop worrying so much about what other people think of you. Like there's all those kind of like standard things that anyone would probably tell a younger version of themselves. But whether I'd want myself to completely action that, I don't know. It's yeah, it's, tough it, to say. It's, it's interesting. And the only way I can relate is people have often asked, I've unfortunately had a couple battles of cancer and been through a horrific time with physical mm. recovery with that and um, some really dark moments as well with my mental health. But someone once asked a similar question. It's why I kind of asked you that question because it was an interesting one. And they said, if you went back then, you know, would you take that? Would you? Would, what you've gone through, would you rather erase that? You know, it's been a horrific time. And I kind of said something similar in the fact that, well, you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today chatting to someone like yourself if it wasn't through that that journey. Um, so, no, it is interesting to hear you say that. And I personally wouldn't take that back. Going you wouldn't through want to relive it, but you wouldn't want to Exactly. It's it kind away. of made me who I am, and no doubt it's made who, yeah. you, who you are today, being a proud Are You OK ambassador and having these important conversations with us. And I think something we've mentioned before is mental health and these discussions, it's not trying to get people to create a life that they don't have hardships because that... It's no. just not reality. We are all going to have hardships and, you know, Hugo, you've had cancer. Yeah, We've all had hardship. experiences and it's more about learning skills and resilience that you can get through those hardships. And mm. unfortunately, often do you do need to go through those yeah. hard times to learn those skills. Now we're not acknowledging it's okay to struggle. It's okay mm. to have mental health. And I think the next direction we're going in is, okay, well, what do we do about that? What do we do when someone's yeah. struggling? How do we have our conversations that, you know, your friends had with you a few years ago? I don't know the answers to that. I don't know how to have... I don't yet know the way to have the perfect conversation about mental health where you are having the conversation with the people that need to hear it and that, that need to have that conversation and when you're where you're giving them the opportunity to come forward because it is very nuanced. It's very... You, you know, and that's where something that I try to do is even in these sorts of conversations is just be open about, hey, mine wasn't just a little bit of depression and anxiety here and there. This is how it affects me. Like I could sit here and I could go through in graphic detail the stupid shit that my anxieties made me do and the like just little tips on a day-to-day. Do you mind telling us some of those things? Yeah, cool. So a day-to-day, for day-to-day my anxiety is at a base level I'm, I'm running it anxious and you talk about I've even had one the psychiatrist I saw last year he was wondering whether I maybe had some OCD thrown in there as well with some of the stuff so a lot of my anxiety stems around um, not feeling like I can't physically relax and so off the back of that is for so that's me to, a physical feeling yeah so for me to try and fall asleep at night I can't lay on my back 
cannot fall asleep on my back. It's just impossible for me to do. I need to have pressure on my lower abdomen and my groin area. This sounds so stupid when you say it out loud, but I need to do that. When I was a kid, I used to, this is going to sound really stupid, but I'll go into that because it, it it's a sounds safe space. It. Yeah. And this is where we wanted this podcast to delve a little bit deeper because we think a lot of mental health podcasts are that kind of soft, yeah. not really. Yeah. And getting a bit grittier. Like there were all these, I just would, just when I was, the one of the first things that I remember thinking that used to make me feel anxious and panicked was if my shoes didn't have enough room for me to, I'll show you guys, to cross my big toe over my second toe. Now to this day, I cannot wear a pair of shoes that is too tight for me to be able to cross my big toe over my little toe. Wow. Or all I will do is think about the fact that I can't cross my big toe over my little toe. It'll make me anxious and anx- more anxious and more anxious and to the point where I'll just take my shoes off. Like I, like I cannot bear that physical sensation that then goes across into things like so uh in bed for me to fall asleep i have to be able to twist my fingers and i have to be able to hold something with my fingers twist i'll hold them in that position for a little bit then i'll switch them to that position then i'll switch them to a different position again um i have to have a certain number of pillows i have to lay in a certain way where there's pressure on certain points of my body i have to be able to move my limbs if i can't straighten my legs so on a plane for example and i fly a lot I have to sit You're in an aisle seat. You're about double the size of me, <laughs> and I find it small on like a domestic flight. Like I have to sit in an aisle seat because if I know that it's going to be difficult for me to stand up and stretch out my joints, all I'll think about is the fact that I can't stretch out my joints, and I'll work myself up into a panic. Mate, and, it sounds stressful hearing you say all this. Has it always been like this for yeah, you? Yeah, but so it sounds stressful and it sounds ridiculous, but it, I posted a thing the other day, so it just is what it is. Like this is... Cool. That's my thing. Everyone's got a thing. Like everyone's got something that they've had to overcome or that they find difficult on a day-to-day basis. You learn to just manage that. And I manage it. Like it's, it is, fuck, sometimes I hate it. And like if I have a really bad night, so on a good night, I might twist my fingers around and cross my feet, just twitch my legs and like sort of twitch, I call it twitching myself to sleep and I'll just sort of twitch myself off to sleep. On a bad night, I might fixate on thinking I need to empty my bladder before I can fall asleep. So I might go to the toilet. The most I've counted is 38 times I'll go to the toilet and I'll stand there and I'll try to pee before I fall asleep. And I won't pee every time, but I'll just be like, oh, you might need to pee now, go back to the toilet. 38 times is the is, is the highest that I've counted to. And it's horrid. Like it can be horrible, but that it is just, that's my thing. Like that's part of who I am. And you know what? When I but wake I up in the morning- I think these things are really important to actually go into. So, you know, other people that- might have similar traits, know that they're not alone and that this does happen because I think we talk about anxiety and depression. We don't actually go into what it feels like or what it looks like. Well, and then from the social anxiety perspective, like when my anxiety is really bad, there's times where I find it difficult to walk down the street because I find it difficult to make eye contact with people in public because I'm afraid of what they're necessarily going to... What negative thing could this person think? I'm walking down the street, it's late at night, there's someone in front of me. I'm terrified that they're going to think that I'm going to attack them or something like that. I walk past a pretty girl in the street. I don't want to look anywhere near them because I'm terrified that they think that I might look in their direction and, and I might be like, it might be a predatory glance or something like that. I'm, I can get scared of like, uh, you know, does this person, if I see a f- person that's wearing CrossFit gear, I'll avoid them like the plague. Oh, does this person know who I am and think they think I'm an asshole or hate me for whatever, for some random reason? That's not every day. That's only when my anxiety is extremely bad. But, but these are these are small things that people don't even think about. They think, oh, you just worry a bit about stuff. Like, no, it's not that. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. And all those things you've just talked about then and no doubt more and other people who have their own version of that, you know, but what are the things that, you know, the tools that you personally use to to help you through some of those things, noting that, yes, they might always be there to some degree, but how some ways that you really help yourself through those things? Um, radical acceptance is a big one. Like that, that me saying it is what it is. Like I can talk so nonchalantly about these things. And like even so far as to like, like I, I know that like it's funny. So, so I use this radical acceptance idea and I use it from, from an athlete's perspective and I draw the, the exact same parallel. If I go into a competition and I'm nervous about competing and I'm anxious, I've got performance anxiety, I'm nervous about competing and I'm nervous about taking the competition floor, that doesn't mean that I'm any less fit, doesn't mean that I'm any less strong, doesn't mean that I'm any less capable as an athlete unless I, unless I let it. These little ticks, these little things that I have to kind of mentally, these little mental battles that I go through sometimes daily, sometimes you know, worse than others. It's just a part of who I am. That is, 
that's me. That's part of Khan Porter. Mm. There are other things that I get to do. And, and it's not as simple as being like, oh, but just think of all the things that are good in your life. You know, like people I hate when people say that. Yeah, but you should just think about what you're grateful for. I'm like, I fucking know what I know that I'm. I, there are things that I'm grateful for. Unfortunately, sometimes it's like it's telling not an enough. alcoholic, just stop drinking alcohol, or telling yeah. someone with anorexia, just eat more. Yeah, why don't you just have a why don't you have a glass of water instead? Like, no, idiot, I like alcohol. Fuck. But no, it's it's a good point you say. And look, perspective's massive. And look, we we get that. And but at the same time, if you are depressed or you are going through a mental illness, all of that other stuff can be irrelevant. It doesn't mm. matter what car you drive, how big your house is, how well you compete at the CrossFit game. If you're in the yeah. depths of that mental illness, yeah. people can say, oh, but you're so grateful you've got that. But at the same yeah. time, it's not going to just magically solve that yeah, for exactly you. right. And you can be two things at once. Like this is this one, you can be extremely grateful for the positives in your life and really fucking pissed off for the negatives. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not, we don't, we're not these kind of like single functioning entities that can only focus on one emotion at once. I just want to talk about the last five years because that seems like where you've made a really, you know, been on, pardon the cliche, a mental health journey. You first saw that doctor that gave you the wrong diagnosis. More recently, you were diagnosed with ADHD. Can you, I know this sounds so silly, can you summarise, um, <laughs> but can you summarise what has led you to be where you are now, which is a, you know, a mental health ambassador, someone studying psychology and someone who seems to be very self-aware? Lots and lots and lots of fuck-ups. That's it. I've made so many mistakes in so many different ways trying to figure out how to do this thing, that, this, this life thing, this, this just being a human being in the time and world that we live in, that... Each one of those has opened a door to a new area of self-awareness, to a new avenue of kind of like personal development and to a new desire to try and improve myself as a human being in the hopes that one day I will get to a point where I'm just like, hey, I feel at home here. I feel comfortable with who I am, with where I am, with the world around me. And I think that is a journey and a process for everyone. And I think it's a journey that I'm still on. That's really powerful to hear you say that. I think it's it's like it's raw. It's it's the truth, and it's obviously come from your heart. Mm. Um, well, it's true. I look back on the last five years, and for me to have been like, there was no light bulb moment where I went, "Fuck yes, I'm going to get better now." And then I just got on this path and stayed that path. Like I fell off the path. I took the wrong path. I fucking got to- shown a path and said, "Fuck you, I'm going down this path that I'm going to make myself like." Yeah, and it's just fuck up after fuck up after fuck up and bouncing back, getting back up on your feet and going from there. The final thing we will do before we do finish, we give our, our guests a bit of a um, get them or get you to set us a bit of a, a weekly challenge and hopefully the listeners can, can play along with that challenge, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and so I'll give you a little bit of time to think about that one. But Gus said to us, his one was pretty pretty simple. We've had people, you know, gratitude diaries and the like. Gus's was make your bed. Pretty, pretty direct. It was, it was make your bed, and um, you know, fortunately, my military training, I have been making my bed. But Izzy, were you making your bed last this week? I had just been on night shifts. I think I made my bed sometimes, Ooh. and I would come home and go, "God, I'm glad I made my bed." <laughs> and then the days that I hadn't made my bed, I'd be like, "Fuck, I should have listened to Gus." My make mind, your bed. You know, I feel like a bit chaotic. Do you make your bed? Huh? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> this is what, something that I do need to improve. Well, hopefully you can maybe take well, something from this yeah. podcast. Something you know as what? simple as making the bed. I actually had this thought just the other day where I was like, man, I'm going to just start by doing that. Like I've, I've heard the whole, the, the, the action that you make your bed and then that sets the tone for the yeah, rest of the day. Cool. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should maybe I should start doing this. So maybe this is the catalyst there you go. actually starting. And maybe I'll work. link you with gas and you can help with some <laughs> workshops and then you can help me make perfect. your bed. You perfect. just go to the country and be like, everyone, all your problems will be fixed <laughs> if you just make your bed. Yeah, 100%. And what's your, to finish off the episode, mate, What's your challenge for us? All right. I'm going to give you like a double-sided one. So you've got to do something this week that physically challenges you and also something purely for the joy of it. Oh, I like that. So one, one, thing, one that thing that physically challenges, challenges you. you. So something that you a little bit uncomfortable doing. You love running. Maybe you don't like swimming. So you're going to swim one day this That's week. That's exactly <laughs> what I in my head. And then you're going to do something that you 
for me, one of my favorites is to go to the cinema and I'll go on my own. I'll buy a bunch of junk food. I'll sit in the cinema and I'll watch a movie and I just tune out. I one like thing that. that terrifies you, or not terrifies you, one thing that challenges you and one thing that's purely for I like that. I think that's two really good things and we'll uh, we'll definitely see what each other have done next week. But for people listening, one thing that challenges you, yep. one thing that you enjoy. Yes. I think it's a great way to, to finish off the episode um, Karen, and look, we really do appreciate you. Look, we probably definitely could keep. We almost need a part two with you because there's so much to talk about. But thank you for for being, you know, I say being brave and being vulnerable and talking about these important conversations because you've achieved so much in the world of CrossFit. You've achieved so much as a professional athlete. But then you look at what you've also achieved in the mental health space, being an RUOK ambassador and no doubt helping so many people. So um, thank you once again for opening up with us, sharing your story of what you've overcome and what you've learnt. And I know straight away I've got uh, some amazing takeaways, which is awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Khan, and good luck with your studies as well. Thank you. I'll, I'll need it. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks, guys.